The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Good morning. If you have uh, lived in this country for the last few years and don't have sand in your hair or uh, make your home under a rock, you know that there has been increased and increasing social and political tensions. And one way to think about these increasing tensions is a crisis of truth. What is the truth about the effects of COVID and where it came from? What is the truth about police brutality and racial injustice? What's the truth about media bias? It seems that even though we live in what has been called the information age, that we are more confused and more angry about what is reliable, what is fake, or what is biased information. In other words, about what is true. So uh, the sermon today is on truth. Uh, Being Christian in a truth crisis, it is not August 1st, but that's what my slide says, so hopefully I'm better at saying what the Bible says than the date. But um, what we should be asking ourselves is, how should I think about truth today as a Christian? How does my faith and the Bible, the things that are most fundamental to my identity, how do they shape um, how we uh, get through the landmines of political conversations with family, the mudslinging on social media, and how does it help us guide us through all the whispers of conspiracy? So here's the main point of my sermon. Here's what I want to preach today, what I think God is calling us to in today's crisis of truth. It's this, trust Jesus to enjoy and to share life-giving truth. So we need to trust Jesus to enjoy and to share life-giving truth. And I'm going to, I have three points. The first one is trusting Jesus, Jesus' posture towards truth. The second one is we need to trust Jesus as the person of truth. And the third one is that we need to trust Jesus in our pursuit of truth. So for each of these points, we're going to look at a different text in the Gospel of John. And before we dive in, I have to give a disclaimer. Trying to say all that the Bible has for us about truth, trying to get our arms around that, is like trying to bear hug a giant redwood tree. And so today, we will just be scratching the surface of what the Bible says. But my prayer is that for us, is that by looking closely at these three texts, that God will help set us in the right track in how we can think about truth as God's people. So, my first point. We need to trust Jesus' posture towards truth. Turn with me to John 18, 33. And we'll read verses 33 to 38. So, John 18, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. 
Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So notice in the scene, two differing postures toward truth. In the blue corner, we have Jesus, who cares about truth. It's so important to him that that's how he summarizes the purpose of his life, to bear witness to the truth. Sometimes in court cases, you have a witness that cares so much about truth and justice that they're willing to testify against powerful criminals like the mafia. And once they testify, they have to go into witness protection for the rest of their lives. They have to give up their identity. They have to give up their history. They have to become a new person. And that helps us to start to understand how much Jesus cares about truth. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus was in the form of God, equal with God, but became a servant. And why? We read here, Jesus says, it was in order to bear witness to the truth. So that's Jesus. And then you have Pilate in the red corner. When Jesus says that his whole life is about truth, Pilate doesn't say, oh, really? What is it? I want to know. I want to know truth. Instead, he asks a dismissive question. What is truth is not a genuine question. It's a question that's meant to highlight uh, all of the disagreements throughout history about what is true. So maybe you're here today, or maybe you're listening online, and you identify with Pilate when it comes to the big questions about life. Is there a God? Is there an afterlife? And you know what? In a sense, Pilate is on to something. He's, he shows some clear level, clear-headed thinking here. What do I mean by this? I mean that if there is no God, we should doubt the human ability to rightly define and lay out true truth, ultimate truth. Why should we prefer Western religion over Eastern religion? Why should we trust this religious person over that religious person or this smart person or that smart person? And besides, if we have all the necessities of life, why should I go grab true truth? It seems like it'll just give me more rules to follow and take away some of my freedoms. But ultimately, Pilate's thinking falls flat because it only makes sense in a world with no God and no afterlife. If there is a God who has made everything and knows everything and has spoken into this world, then the playing field has totally changed. In this case, deciding what is true is not between favoring or siding with this smart person over that smart person, but it is deciding whether or not I will trust the living God, the all-knowing God, and what he has spoken to me and to us. And it's no longer then, if, if God has spoken and he reveals true truth in order to share his eternal love and his eternal joy with us, then true truth, finding it, is no longer about being a more ethical person who can keep more rules, but it's about being an eternally happy person. Pilate's posture of total skepticism is easy, but it only makes sense in a fantasy world. Justice has to have some standard of truth. Medicine has to have some standard of truth. Plumbing has to have some standard of truth. Why, is, why are, would our questions about God and about man be a free-for-all where anything goes? And lest we, who call ourselves Christians and sit in the pews or the chairs or on our couch and tune in every week, get too comfortable now, 
It's easy to say that we care about truth, but it's all too convenient to throw up our hands with Pilate when an issue gets complex or when an issue gets messy, especially when those issues do not directly impact us. As a white person who really knows the truth about racial inequity, as an adult who's made it out of the womb, who really knows how to end abortion? Who really knows if my neighbor is abusing his spouse? Let's admit together, let's confess that we get fired up about truth matters when our liberties and our happiness is, it, is being threatened. And it becomes very easy to be a passive philosopher when it's only other people's liberties that are at stake. So whether you consider yourself a believer or whether you are a skeptic, I'm calling all of us to trust Jesus's posture towards truth and fight the gravitational pull of indifference. Jesus knows reality. He knows that there is a God who has revealed true truth. And Jesus does not pick or choose which truths he will stand up for and have a conviction about. In fact, this scene with Pilate is Jesus bearing witness to the truth that leads to his death on a Roman crucifixion uh, device, on a Roman execution device. So we must care deeply about truth, and it must shape our lives, but Pilate's question is still on the table. What actually is truth? And this brings us to our second point in our second text. If you can turn with me to John 14, 6. We'll look at that together. And as you turn there, let's consider the context of John 14. Jesus is in the upper room the night before he's betrayed, or the night before he's crucified. Judas has left to betray Jesus, and Jesus breaks the news to the rest of his disciples that he'll be leaving. They won't be able to follow, but they'll know the way. Now, understandably, these disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus are a bit concerned. Peter typical Peter fashion, tries to argue with Jesus. And then Thomas blurts out in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas's blunt question is refreshing. Coming from the last passage, Thomas serves as a kind of foil to Pilate, which just means he highlights a different response to Jesus than Pilate. Whereas Pilate responds to Jesus with a mocking question, Thomas shows us how to come to Jesus with our questions. Jesus wants to hear our honest questions. Jesus is not uncomfortable with your doubt. Jesus is not uncomfortable with your desperation and feeling like, how can I know truth when everybody seems to have a different opinion? So Thomas asks Jesus, Jesus, how will we know the way if you're not with us? And we come to this text asking, Jesus, how can we know truth if you're not with us to tell us? And this is what Jesus says to Thomas, and this is what Jesus says to us. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we ask, what is truth? And Jesus says, I am truth. And this sounds, this sounds a little bit weird to us. Like It's like kind of like asking, what's two plus two? And somebody says, cow. Right? It, it almost doesn't compute. And let's consider for a second why that is. In our Western culture, we have historically thought about 
the search for truth or the search for ultimate reality as like this. I am the starting point for, for finding truth and I'm looking for the impersonal, unchangeable principles of the universe. Nothing can be considered true until it has been proven and I can go out and prove it kind of like I collect stamps or file away folders or download a zip file. This means that our default way of thinking about truth or facts is abstract and impersonal. And in fact, the more personal things get, we start calling it subjective. And we start to refer to it as opinions and values instead of facts. So when Jesus says, I am truth, we're basically wired with our Western sensibilities for this to sound strange. We want to reject Jesus's claim at first blush. But I want to talk about two ways that this should challenge us. So this should rewire our brains. And then after I talk about two challenges, I'm going to talk about two ways that this is actually a better vision for truth. So the first challenge, if truth is a person, if Jesus is in fact truth, then all of our knowledge is fundamentally relational. We should no longer think about truth as an invisible world of algorithms and formulas and computer codes, but instead, truth, getting to, to find truth is like getting to know a living person. And this makes sense because there is one person, or specifically three persons in one, God, who, ha who is the source of everything that is real and that is true. And Jesus has the audacity to claim himself as truth because, as it says in Hebrews 1, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. So seeing knowledge as fundamentally relational also makes it clear that all of our knowing relies on people. We're putting our faith in people. There's no such thing as pure data or cold hard facts. When we put our trust in an ideology or a scientific finding or a rumor, what we're doing is we're trusting the person who has communicated that to us. So that's the first challenge. All knowledge is relational in nature. Second, if truth is a person, we receive truth. We don't go out and grab it. If Jesus is truth, it means that I'm no longer the starting point for discovering truth. I can't just go out to, and decide to collect it like I go collect seashells. Instead, it's more like a dialogue. So it's like a conversation. Ultimately, I'm powerless to know something unless that person chooses to unveil it to me, to tell me. So those are two ways that Jesus as truth challenges us. And, but how does it help us? How is it better? In, when it gets down to it, how does Jesus as truth help me when I'm scrolling through Facebook or Twitter? How does it help me evaluate a truth claim when I hear it on CNN or Fox News? First, truth becomes life-giving and is meant to be enjoyed. Looking for truth is not like sifting through 875 million results on Google. It's not like memorizing a textbook. Instead, truth is a person who loves me and who wants me to learn more about him so that I can have more joy in him and knowing about him. This means that when we read a truth claim on social media or hear a truth claim on the news, we can test it with humble confidence. 
What do I mean by humble confidence? I mean that we must be humble because even as Christians, we are fallible humans. Being a Christian does not make us smarter. And in fact, it makes us more understanding that we're prone to error. We're prone to being wrong. So we have to be humble. But in that humility, we can be confident because we have Jesus, who is truth, who holds all truth, who wants me to find joy in learning more about him, even if that means we end up being wrong. We can be wrong about climate change and vaccines and politics because these things are not the end-all, be-all. We can joyfully and humbly try to learn from those who are different, even non-Christians, because God has given partial understanding to all of us and full understanding to Christ. And before we move on from that point, I just want to clarify something. I'm not telling us we should be confident in our understanding of spiritual things and humble in our understanding of secular things, or confident in our understanding of the Bible and humble in our understanding of science. Unfortunately for us, it's not that simple. Both the study of the Bible and the study of the created world aim to say true things about one reality. There's no spiritual realm, physical realm. It's one reality. Theology aims to say true things about reality based on the Bible, based on what God has revealed in his word. Science, observation, experience, aims to say true things about reality based on what God has revealed in the created world. So as a side note, science is a discipline and methodology that was founded on a Christian worldview. So even if a scientist doesn't believe in God, he can still do science and say true things about the world that God has created. So God is the source of both, both the world and the word, and rightly understood, that's the important part, these things cohere perfectly. What the Bible says and what nature says perfectly cohere, because there's one creator. The problem is that our attempt to say true things from the Bible, our theology, is prone to human error. And our attempt to say true things about the world, from the world, like science, are prone to human error. So the advantage of being a Christian is not that we can be smarter than everybody, but that we can look to both sources, both the Word and the world, as we attempt to enjoy, find out about God, find out about truth. And we get to worship the one who's behind all of it while we do that. So we can test things with humble confidence because we know the one who has all truth. Second, how does this give us a better vision of truth? If Jesus is truth, then life-giving truth is meant to be shared. Truth is no longer a weapon in my hand meant to bludgeon my opponent into submission or grill them in the comments section. Instead, and, and truth is not a, a private matter that should be just tucked away when I think that it will bring about disagreement. Instead, sharing truth is always an act of love, meant to build up and give life. The song, the popular song, is not, they will know we are Christians by our truth, by our truth. It's love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And it comes from John 13, 35. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this doesn't mean that we leave truth at the door, but it means that our sharing truth is clothed in love. This is maybe a silly illustration, but I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, Imagine a chicken. We always imagine chickens with feathers, right? But chickens don't have to have feathers. But when we look at them in books, in person, in movies, they always have feathers. In the same way, we should never think about truth without the feathers of love. Like, always, when we think about giving someone truth, they need to always, it always has to be clothed in love. Think back to, uh, to Jesus in the scene with Pilate. Jesus didn't say silent because he thought it would ruffle Pilate's feathers. And when Pilate disagreed with him, he did not call down legions of angels to show uh, Pilate how wrong he was. Jesus, who is truth and knows all truth, he spoke courageously and then entrusted Pilate's beliefs to the Father. And so if Jesus is truth, our sharing truth is life-giving, always motivated by love, and always with the aim to give life to the other person. So to sum up, uh, we can come to Jesus with our questions. Jesus beckons us. And when Jesus says, I am truth, it should challenge us. Truth is no longer abstract and impersonal, but it's a person. And he's welcoming us in joy to find truth. And he's welcoming us, once we have an understanding of truth, to share it for the good and betterment of other people. But this is hard. We know this is hard because... I was saying at the beginning, we're in a crisis of truth. And we see it inside of us when we read people's posts and get angry and think that they just don't get it. So this brings us to our third point. We need to trust Jesus in the pursuit of truth. And it brings us to our last text. So if you would turn with me to John 8, 31 through 37. John 8:31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. When we think about truth, enjoying truth, sharing life-giving truth, we tend to think of ourselves as being innocent seekers of truth people who are inclined to love the truth, people who are, think that we're naturally, we have a taste for truth. But the Bible teaches that we are not innocent seekers of truth. Instead of being people who naturally enjoy and share truth that is in its essence life-giving, we're frustrated and we hoard our own versions of truth. And Jesus tells us in this passage, that we're actually willful slaves to sin, a lie in action against God, and enemies 
of Jesus, the truth. So we're shackled to lies, and we're actually against the truth. We're not innocent seekers. And maybe when we hear this, we kind of react like the people in this story. Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm not a slave to lies. I'm an American. I've gotten a good education. I live in New Hampshire, where we live free or we die. I'm free to pursue truth and make informed decisions about what is true and what is false. I'll know when something's true. But remember, if truth is fundamentally a person, then our relationship with that person will determine our relationship with truth. Our broken relationship with God means that we have a broken relationship with truth. And that broken relationship manifests itself in this broken relationship with people. We go back and forth between, on the one hand, looking for happiness by totally abandoning truth, the pursuit of truth, belittling passionate people, and only caring about the things that will personally affect us. We go between that and, on the other hand, looking for happiness by constructing our own truth forcing others to bow to our ideas and making them suffer if they offer resistance. This is the crisis of truth. And it manifests itself today in ways that we've talked about. And it started from the beginning of time in the garden. What good is it to pump our brains with abstract facts when we don't understand how to use them in love. We know E equals MC squared, but then we use it in the midst of a, one of the bloodiest wars of all time to end that war and drop atomic bombs. We have information to create smartphones, but we're more depressed and more selfish than we've ever been. It is this world where we're enemies against truth that Jesus enters willingly. He's handed over by Jewish rulers who are bloodthirsty to establish their own truth. And then he's executed by Pilate, who wants to pretend like truth is a mystery so that he doesn't have to face the displeasures of the crowd. It is people like us who murdered the one who is truth on the cross. And it's people like us who Jesus willingly entered the world to offer himself as life-giving truth. Jesus is not like us. He doesn't passively leave humanity in our self-destructive self slavery to sin and slavery to falsehoods by ignoring a truth that might be inconvenient to him if he did anything about it. Nor does Jesus swoop in and condemn everybody and shame everybody for being wrong. <clears throat> Instead, Jesus takes the form of a servant, and he bears witness to the truth for our sake unto death. And then he rises from the dead to show that his testimony is true and call us to believe in him in order to have truth, to have him. Believe in him in order to have freedom. Not just to be informed, but to be free to be conformed to truth himself where life is found. Jesus tells us in verse 31, if you abide, which just means remain, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, we need to trust Jesus in our pursuit of truth. 
because that is the only way. His reconciling power for us to the person of truth and by that to other people who are slaves to sin and falsehoods. It's only by Jesus that we can pursue enjoying and sharing truth that is life-giving. Getting the freedom to actually love God and love neighbor. So to conclude, I've been calling us all morning to trust Jesus. Trust, or in other words, have faith. I'm, I'm calling us to do the heartbeat of what we believe, to, to put our faith in Jesus. And we need to trust and keep trusting Jesus to enjoy and share truth that is life-giving. We trust and we follow Jesus' constant and courageous posture towards truth. We trust and we follow Jesus as the person of truth. And we let it redefine our conceptions of truth. And we let it reshape our vision for enjoying and sharing truth. And we don't just need Jesus for a better example of truth, of approaching truth. And we don't just need Jesus for a better philosophy of truth. We need this person of truth to come and find us and give us his spirit of understanding, not so that we can know everything, but so that we can know the one whose truth, whose love, whose life, and who loves to give lavishly to his people, partially now and fully when we're put in the ground and we see him face to face. The cultural winds will blow. Ideas will come and go, but the word of God that we've looked at today and the incarnate word, the one who is putting our hope in, will stand forever. In today's crisis of truth, let us as Christians be marked, not by our passivity or our zeal for some other ideology, but by our identity as followers of Jesus. We sang the first song, uh, uh, Good, Good Father, and that's who we are. We're loved by him. We're loved by the truth, and we have the one who is truth, and we don't need to be right about everything or think that we are. So let that identity shape us as we aim to trust Jesus and enjoy and share life-giving truth. Let me pray for us to that end. Jesus, thank you for your love. You love us so much. You come in to give us truth, to give us hope that there is truth, to give us hope that there's life. And so, Lord, we confess that we need you uh, in our relationship with you. We need you in our relationship with others. We need you in this life uh, as we pursue truth together and we hope to spread it and justice and peace and mercy along with it in this world. So, Lord, would you walk with us um, this week and beyond as we aim to be people of truth and people of you. And we praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.